Welcome to the We Need to Talk About Whiteness podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Francois, and to all of our listeners, thank you for joining us. This is a space where we explore the meaning of whiteness in the context of conversations around race and racism, and as the structure pertains to different areas of our lives. Why whiteness? Well, very simply, because as someone racialized as white myself, I want to explore the meaning and impact of whiteness at our current juncture. What does whiteness mean and does it matter? Every episode I'm joined by a guest who offers unique insights into these questions and many more. Today I'm joined by none other than Professor of Political Science at the London School of Economics and the former director of the Gender Institute, Professor Anne Phillips. Her work has focused on themes of colonialism and feminism, and her latest book, Unconditional Equals, was published last year by Princeton Press. Professor Phillips, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for inviting me. Um, I first came across your book through uh, an esteemed academic and a former guest on this show, that's Professor Barnor Hess, who, uh, yes, mentioned in one of his tweets, he was highlighting um, I guess a core question that you raise uh, in your book around the foundations of the word equality, which we all take for granted as a, as a sort of accepted truth that we all believe in, sort of from the French Declaration of Human Rights to the American Declaration of Independence, equality seems to be inherent to the foundational principles of major democracies and yet, and we could go into a long list of and yet, but under the same systems, we know that women were not equal to men, slavery endured without even going into wider issues of social inequality. So how has that happened? How is it that we have this core principle at the heart of these democracies and yet so much inequality within them? Right, well, it, it's something that it really hits you very dramatically once you start putting all the evidence together. I mean, I, I, I kind of initially came at this very much as a feminist. And, you know, one, one is used to the idea that women, half the human population, are simply eliminated from discussions about all men are born equal or, you know, men are born free and remain uh, free and equal and so on. You get used to that. But as you as you put onto it the material that you know, more and more, particularly black scholars have kind of revealed more and more about the ways in which, say, the heroes of, of liberal thinking in the 19th century all supported colonialism or the, the obvious mismatch that you mentioned between the American Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that, you know, all men are created equal. And, you know, at a time when America, part, a good part of the American economy depended and was going to depend even more on slavery. So the more you think about it, the more extraordinary it is. And what what it what it, it seemed to me that one of the things that had happened was that round about 300 years ago, three, four hundred years ago, um, it, particularly within within European thinking about equality, you began to get this kind of insistence on us as naturally equal by nature uh, that all men, always all men, uh, are born equal. And this focus on nature has turned out to be deeply problematic because when you say that people are by nature equal, in a sense, you simultaneously create alibis 
for focusing on all kinds of seemingly natural differences between us that then justify some people being enslaved or some people being subordinated. So we've kind of we've taken this language of uh, there's some fact about human beings, which means that we should all be regarded as in some important sense equal. So we've taken this notion, but we've brought we've carried with it a way in which we can make all kinds of extraordinary discriminations between people. And that when you read the material from 400 years ago, 300 years ago, 200 years ago, last century, it is astonishing how people managed to hold simultaneously in their head this idea that they were deeply committed to the principle of equality and that it didn't apply to women, that it didn't apply to black people, that it didn't apply to the sort of millions of people around the world who were colonized, particularly by uh, by Britain and France. So, so what I came to think, I mean, the equality, I mean, I'm a fervent believer in equality. None of this to me makes me think that we should throw out the notion of equality. But the way in which we have thought about equality for far too long is a way that attaches conditions to it. You have to be a particular kind of human being. And the human being was imagined in the shape of a man, a white man, and typically a European white man. And I think that it's, of course, a lot of people kind of think we've now managed to throw that off. <laughs> and that, you know, gradually over the years, we've managed to move to a situation where we now genuinely see all human beings as equals. And then you look around the world, or you don't have to look around the world, you just have to look within your own society, and you realize how, I mean, how just that is not what happens. There's a there's a very uh, uh, interesting book I was just recently reading, which has the great title, The Color of Equality, um, written by a, a scholar, uh, Devin Vertija. And he's, he, it was a study particularly of the 18th century French encyclopedias who kind of, you know, did all their studies of, you know, tried to kind of summarize everything about, about human knowledge. And, and what he points out is they became absolutely fascinated with the notion of nature. And nature to them allowed them to come up with some very progressive sounding things about all human beings are basically we share the same nature. Uh, you know, allowed them to say all kinds of things about equality. But exactly that same fascination with nature was what also meant that they got very into racial classifications so that they were fascinated by all the different kinds of natural beings that were humans, uh, so that you get racial, racial taxonomies at exactly the same time as you get this discussion of equality. So it's trying to kind of think about and disentangle that and trying to think about well what it means for the present day and what are the conditions that we put on equality today that have a similar kind of exclusionary effects. Ooh, so much to unpack on that. So can we start maybe by unpacking this idea of nature as Ooh. the sort of reference point? So have we always used you know human nature nature as the reference point or was there a time prior to that where we thought about equality in different terms yes i i think uh, i have to admit that i'm i'm not myself a historian so i'm relying on other work by historians of ideas of equality and freedom um so i haven't a total 100 percent confidence about this but it's best not to have 100% confidence about any of one's ideas. But it does seem to me that there's something that happens within 
Europe and America in the last 300 years, right? And I mean, so for example, when people talk about equality, one of the things that people, people will often say, oh, well, people have talked about equality for millennia, thousands of years, you know, go through the kind of, you know, ancient uh, Hindu scripts, go through early Christianity. Um, you get notions of equality in all of these. Um, if you take, for example, however, the like the early Christian notion, which is very much uh, we are all equal in the sight of God. Right? Mm. And actually what that is really saying is that it's it's what one of my colleagues in um, political theory describes as equality as indifference. And the person who's indifferent is God. Right. So it's like an idea that God is indifferent to all of the kind of you know, social, intellectual, you know, physical distinctions that we might pride ourselves on. God's indifferent to all of these. All that God cares about is your capacity for um, your capacity for spirituality, your capacity for being a good person. And so that God strips all those away. But it's it's just an indifference, right? And it's not making any claims about uh about us as equals. In fact, the whole point of God's indifference to all these things about us is so that he can then rank us, right? And he can decide which ones of us are doing well and which ones of us are, are sinners. So it's, it, it's, so it's a language of equality, but I see that as very different from this focus on nature that comes into being, particularly around I mean, I think it's I think it's it's kind of it's it's linked with the kind of the way in which the sort of the 15th, 16th, 17th century, it's the time when there's a huge amount of movements around the world and that people are beginning to see that actually people live in different kinds of ways around the world. And they start constructing a notion of what it is to be a human mm-hmm. um, in which they they both have these claims about what we all share as humans and these claims about gradations of humans. And they come they come at exactly the same time. So, uh, I mean, that's my sense, that there is something new that happens around there. And it gets into these declarations about the American Declaration of Independence, the French Declaration of the Rights of Man and, and Citizen. It gets into these big declarations. And it's a kind of like, it's like you're looking for some facts about human beings that justifies treating us as equals. And I just think we have to completely break with that idea that we need to look for justifications for equality. Mm. Because as long as you're looking for justifications for equality, whatever you're attaching it to, you know, you, you know, I mean, obviously, people nowadays aren't going to officially attach it to the colour of people's skin or the nature of their genitals. You know, nowadays people will say things like, uh, all human beings have uh, the capacity to, for moral agency, say, or the capacity uh, for living a life that, that has meaning for them and so on. Um, mm. And, they, and they, they try to define it in a way that supposedly includes us all. But, you know, we don't have to look for justifications for equality. Um, and I think as long as you're looking for a, why should we, as long as you're asking the question, why should I treat another human being as my equal? Why? Give me a reason why. Give me a fact that would justify this. I think as long as you're asking that question, you're asking the wrong question. 
that mm. equality is something that we should we should just commit ourselves to. It's not mm. based on facts about us, and it's not it's not something that could be either proven or disproven. Um, there's nothing we could find out about other human beings that should stop us from thinking of them as equals. Mm. Um, so. So I think there's been a kind of centuries and centuries of, of kind of thinking that equality is somehow linked to facts about human beings. And do, I, I don't think that's the way we should, that is, I don't think that's the most useful way to think about it, because the facts end up including things like maleness, whiteness, um, you know, or, you know, what kind of religion people are. All these facts get in the way of us being able to really construe others as our equals. And, and I guess I was wondering whether it was linked in some part to this idea of empiricism, which, you know, in European history has always been thought of as the most objective uh, uh, assessment of the world, right? There's almost like a, a cult of empiricism, whereas if you can measure it and you can uh, scale it, then obviously it must be true. And 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 that sort of was moving away from, you know, I'm, I was, um, I, th I thought we, the description you made of the, the Christian uh, tradition of, of the concept of equality was very, re resonated a lot with my own, as a Muslim, yeah. this idea that, you know, God endows every soul um, you know, with an innate dignity. There's an innate, you know, because it, because the soul comes from God, there is no differentiation between any soul bar the good deeds that you do in this world. And so, you know, in that sense, there's a sort of implicit, uh, you know, unspoken uh, acceptance of the equality of souls. Yes, but, yeah. but the hierarchy then comes into yes, the yes, world, yes, and obviously yes. humans build all kinds of hierarchies on that. So I'm not suggesting to anyone yeah. that Muslims have mastered equality. Please don't mis misread me yeah. on that. Yeah. Um, uh, but certainly conceptually, that's what I was wondering whether there was um, a moving away from uh, a sort of a religious reference in Europe, which which did maybe contain some things that we've thrown out, you know, the baby with the bathwater, um, and, and moved to an empiricism that actually has taken down a, a route where some things, everything has to be proven, but maybe some things that we are now seeking to prove or were seeking to prove um, have taken us down the idea that there is therefore an inherent hierarchy that people have to sort of justify their way out of. Yes, yeah. Well, I think you. I think the point you make about the link with empiricism and the kind of the that somehow all this happening at the same time as the kind of the uh, the development of new ways of, of scientific uh, investigation and so on. I think that that's got to be right. I mean, there's got to be an important connection there. Um, but I also think. I mean, I think the in a way to me. The, the kind of the what seems like the non-natural alternative, which is something like innate dignity, um, which um, you know, which which is is also, I mean, it's very much used in the whole language of human rights as well. That kind of why do all humans have these equal rights because of the innate dignity of of the human being? To me, I mean, I've come to think that when it when it comes to thinking about equality. In a way, it's just a word that we add on. I mean, mm. why don't we just talk about equality? It's as though it's as though people can't get it out of their head that we might just commit ourselves to seeing one another as equals. It's as though they've still got to find something, even if it's something that, of course, you can't find empirically <laughs> innate dignity, 
but there's got to be something else that somehow justifies thinking of people as equals. So that to me, even the kind of the innate dignity argument, which as I say is both part of Islam and the human rights tradition, um, is to me it's searching for something else that is the mm. justification for something that should not require justification. Mm. And I think there's 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 this wonderful um, quote which I which I which I often use, which I can't reproduce, which is from um, Frederick Douglass's. Um, speech in the 1840s, you know, which is on, on the occasion of the um, celebration of the Declaration of Independence. And it's sort of what to the slave is the meaning of the 4th of July. And there's just this terrible mismatch mm -hmm. between the declaration of all this wonderful freedom and equality and the continuation of slavery. And he uh, basically he in his speech, which is a really powerful indictment of slavery, um, he basically, he refuses to argue that slaves are men and that as men, uh, they, they should be, uh, they, they are entitled to freedom. And he kind of says, no, I will not. I will not, I will not waste my time on, produce, on producing justifications, you know, for why men should not, you know, have their skin flayed with whips and so on. Mm. You know, and it's basically, he's saying, I refuse to justify what should, you know, what should Might require justification, right? Mm -hmm. These people are are people, right? Yeah. I shouldn't have to make an argument about that. And I think I think there's something very powerful in that message about we don't we shouldn't have to look for something else in order to justify the recognition that we are equals in some really important sense. Um, and that as, as soon as you start looking for something else, it's as though you're still going down that road where you attach it to things like whiteness, maleness. Um, or, but also, I mean, I'd also say this, that I think one of the ways that, that one, of the, one of the things that happens at the moment is um, it gets attach, attached to uh, what, how good a human you are. So, I mean, I'm thinking here about yeah. things like... Um, uh, the surprising number of people who will justify torture if they yeah. think that the torture is, uh, if they think that the person being tortured is a possible terrorist, right? Mm -hmm. And that through torture, you know, that, that you'll be able to save so many people's lives. And, and basically, I mean, to torture somebody, I mean, that is one of the things that, you know, if you believe anything about human rights, you're supposed to be opposed to torture. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it's as though people are saying, well, it, it does depend really on whether you're a good human being or a bad human being. Yeah. Well, just the fact, just the much smaller scale fact that uh, in both Britain and America, if you're convicted of a crime and locked up in prison, you lose the right to vote. Yeah. You tend to think of the right to vote as the most basic thing, most basic expression of our equality. Yeah. But if you've been a bad person, you yeah. lose. So there's a conditionality really built into there. It's a kind yeah. of moral conditionality. Well, the stripping of citizenship, which we've yeah. now seen, yes. right, which, yes. you know, I know, thankfully that the House of Lords recent, you know, overturned, but it was very much on the cards, this idea that you can now strip people, I mean, you can still strip people of their citizenship, but it was very much the idea that, you know, if if you do something bad enough, yes. quote unquote, yes. you can be stripped of your rights, as, and those are the rights that we consider the so-called universal yes. rights, so you can Absolutely. be stripped yeah. of your 
universal rights apparently yeah. um or at least uh, at least of the mechanism through which you could make a claim to being part of the group yes. entitled yes. to yes. those rights yes, yes. um yeah. which which is interesting um do you so how would you suggest that um to kind of bring it to something concrete to someone saying to you well look you know i'm in a country where i don't know um i'm i'm fighting uh, you know, this could actually probably apply to every country that I'm fighting racial inequality, I'm, I'm yes. fighting gender inequality day to day, yes. you know, yes. how do I do that without appealing to the framework of, you know, I'm a human just like you, or I'm entitled to the yes. same rights as you are? How do you concretely go about the struggle for equality without referencing the same problematic framework yeah. that maybe justifies inherent hierarchies yes yeah i mean i i mean that yes i mean i think i think in truth I, there's, I think there's lots of kinds of arguments that one can use and sometimes they take the form of pointing out people's contradictions you know that you say this but it seems that that's totally inconsistent with this other thing that you're saying. Sometimes I think it takes the form of throwing the obligation back on other people. I mean, what, what makes you think you're so special? What is it about you that means that you're entitled to these things, but these other people aren't? But I think a lot of the time we will, we, we will use the arguments about similarities because it's a very powerful one. You know, mm -hmm. it, it getting people to just uh, use their imagination and just just think about the ways in which I, I mean it's it's been a very powerful motif in uh getting people to think about refugees for example you know kind of people who are you know fleeing persecution people who are trying to find the best possible life for their children people who love their families i mean these are you know uh, these are uh, how can these people be so these people are not so different from us so i think we do use that those that familiarity the ways in which the ways in which our lives are you know we are we're in very different situations maybe but basically we are we are very similar so we do use that mm. but i think the danger is the point at which you think that those similarities are the reason why we should treat people as equals so i see it as a kind of waking people up I mean, think about what is so different about it's. It's very difficult for all of us to do, I think. Because, mm. Well, you know, none of we all live our world through all kinds of projections and stereotypes, and you know, you you, you never free yourself from those. Uh, not completely. You do your best, but you never free yourself from those. You know, so to wake up that sense of the similarities is very important. But you know, there might be refugees who don't care about their children. You know, there are people who don't care about there are lots of bad yeah. people as yeah. well, yeah. and they are still to be treated as your equals, and they still have their human rights and yeah. that. So it's finding a way in which you can you can think about those similarities, which are very important in, in awaking people's understanding and sympathy, mm. without falling into saying, and because of this, you ought to treat them as an equal, and if they yeah. didn't have this. If this fact about them weren't the case, then you'd be justified in, you know, all kinds of things, stripping them of their citizenship, torturing them, dropping zones on them, drones on them, you know, sort of. And, and what about, um, do you think that there's a risk in appealing to the current framework of you're like us to justify equality 
that actually buttresses whiteness. And I'm thinking really very much today about the way we're talking about Ukraine and Ukrainian refugees. But And and people have pointed this out. I'm not doing anything that lots of other people have not already said. But, you know, it's like, well, you know, we've seen some of the reporters, you know, sort of say, well, look, they're 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 white and Christian like us, you know. So what what's the what's the implication that as refugees, they're more legitimate than, you know, the Sudanese or the Somali or the Yemenis who aren't exactly like us in skin tone or whatever else. What other what other uh, other differences people point out? Um, So so where does whiteness come into that framework as far as you see it? Yeah, no, I think that's that's uh, extremely important. And uh, sorry, I'm just yeah, my computer just suddenly sort of minimized us for some reason. Oh um, no! <laughs> but I've gone back. I've got it back. I mean, it's also the, I mean, as well as as well as what what you're commenting on there about the 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 sort of the the ways in which white Europeans have sort of somehow seen this war as as kind of somehow more real than, you know, wars in various parts of Africa or, or wars in Syria. Um, also, the, the, the case that, I mean, there, there have been quite a lot of uh, students from Africa and various parts of Asia in the Ukraine. And when they've, when they've been refugees, this very incredibly warm welcome that, uh, that Polish people have given to refugees from Ukraine has turned in a number of cases to just you know, victimization of, of these, uh, you know, non-white, of non-white, are they really refugees? So there's an image of the refugee in this yeah. context is now constructed as white. Um, so I think, I think the, the similarity thing is very problematic. I mean, the, uh, I mean, outside the kind of the, the question of wars and refugees, I mean, another, I mean, when I, when I was growing up, it was very common for people to, uh, to try and convey this notion of our our fundamental similarity with people that we might think of as different by saying things like, you know, we're all the same under the skin. And Mm. and I took this for many years as I was growing up as a kind of, you know, a a, a generous expression of our fundamental similarity. Look beyond all the differences and see, you know, beneath the skin, we're all the same. But actually, what's it saying? I mean, it's actually saying, I mean, in a sense, it's saying there's a bit of a problem about your skin, um, but I can look beyond that and I can see, in a sense, I can see that beneath the skin, you're as white as I am. I mean, that's really what that expression is about. Mm. And, uh, and so I think that it's a kind of, it's a very stark illustration of the ways in which looking for similarities or thinking that only similarities will justify treating people as equals is mm. problematic. So, so that similarities really help us see others as people like ourselves, yes. But if, 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 if the only justification for you know, regarding people as equals is that they are fundamentally just like you, then you know, it is just reimposing a particular vision of what it is to be human. And, you know, given the kind of very hegemonic nature of whiteness, it's it's kind of means that being white is a particularly useful similarity to have. 
Do you see this within the feminist movement as well? I wonder whether or not the notion of equality within the feminist movement, and I'm thinking particularly of critiques around the notion of white feminism, yes. that the, the, the idea of like, well, you know, you're a woman, I'm a woman, we're the same, can lead to um, a, a flattening of the differences which actually... Um, are inherent in different perceptions of what things like liberation mean or emancipation or even equality, right? Yes, Which we've yeah. seen the very meaning of equality debated amongst feminists in different parts of the world. And I um do do you do you sense that maybe the uh the, the appeal to similarity as the basis for whiteness within a framework of hegemonic whiteness can lead to the flattening of uh, uh, of other uh, voices within feminism uh, through the sort of hegemonic uh, uh, space afforded to some feminists over others, specifically white feminists? Yeah, well, I think, yes, undoubtedly, both there is a risk and, both, and, and historically that's undoubtedly happened. I tend to think that, you know, feminism in general, is pretty far ahead of most political movements in having having spotted that and mm. having been challenged by that and that there's been a very kind of vibrant uh, counter challenge to that mm. from uh, black feminists, uh, from uh, feminists uh, outside the Euro-American sort of uh, dominance. Um, so there's a there's a much richer discussion about that within feminism, but it's something that I mean I mean I've really had to kind of confront in myself around the question of equality because my vision of equ gender equality um, is very much that kind of vision in which gender should not be regulating our lives, right? It shouldn't be dictating. Um, uh, it shouldn't be dictating uh, how how we talk. It shouldn't be dictating what kind of subjects we study. Uh, uh, it shouldn't be dictating what kind of jobs we do. It shouldn't be dictating, you know, who looks after the children, who changes the nappies. It shouldn't be dictating all of these things. These are things that men and women should be able to uh, to, to just completely share equally, so that you wouldn't be able to predict from the fact that somebody is a woman or a man what particular role. Uh, they occupied within society, you know, how they how they represented themselves. That in a sense, gender would disappear as a mm -hmm. way of organizing our lives, right? So, in a way, that's my kind of image. My image of a kind of future society of gender equality is is a world in which gender's lost its power to regulate us and dictate what role we play. But um, it's very apparent to me that in many women around the world and indeed many women's movements around the world do not share that idea that in order to have gender equality which they agree absolutely that's what they want uh, that you have to uh, that it's incompatible with a gender division of labor right mm -hmm. um, so there are many women will say of course I want equality but I don't see that equality requires us to be doing the same kinds of things. I don't see why it's not, it's entirely possible that men might have very specific roles that they play as men, women might have specific roles that they play as women, but those roles need to be recognized as equal and mm. equal. And 
I mean, that's a very major challenge to my particular conception of equality. And I haven't, um, I haven't sufficiently managed to kind of dislodge my dream of what gender equality is, because I do tend to think that where you get systemic differences, they breed inequality. It's very mm -hmm. hard to sustain, you know, equal but different, uh, mm -hmm. equal but separate, that, you know, we know through history, um, you know, we know this very much in relation to race, we know it in relation to gender, but um, when different groups occupy different roles in different positions, one becomes the kind of the, 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 the sort of the dominant one and the, the other the subordinate one. So I'm very, I'm not at all convinced that you can sustain systemic difference and equality, but mm -hmm. I have become convinced that I need to think a bit, at, at any rate, just think more openly about the possibility of alternative ways in which gender equality might emerge and, and basically resist the dogmatism of saying, I know what gender equality looks like and it's got to look like this. I have my own vision of it. Um, but it may be that there are other possibilities. Yeah, and I suppose that the challenge on, you know, on the flip side for feminists from the Euro-American context is that, you know, uh, who are just as entitled to have a view on feminism yeah, as yeah, other women in the right. world, uh, is that uh, uh, because of the imbalance of the world, our perspectives are inherently more likely to be heard, yeah. validated, yeah. spread. And, you know, so it, it, it's like one of those, it's, it's a conundrum. It's like you you have the legitimate right as any woman to say what you think feminism should look like um, as any other woman in the world. And at the same time, it's this bind in knowing that when we do say it, 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 it frequently is drowns out uh, or is, uh, yes. you know, yes. overshadows yes. Uh, yeah. other voices. Yeah. And, and I suppose that's something that we're still grappling with because of the nature of living in a world where, you know, Euro patriarchy continues to be the dominant framework through which yes. anything yes. we do operates. Yes. Um, I wanted to um, ask you about culture wars uh, yes. and about um, where, you know, this. firstly, this idea of, you know, what is a culture war? Are we going through culture wars? And I suppose where does, you know, some people would see, uh, or maybe perhaps those who are critics of, of, of uh, you know, the so-called woke movement, you, we can talk about what that means, um, would say, well, it's equality's gone mad. You know, we hear that sort of discourse uh, frequently. I think people people say, well, it's, it's you know, people are just obsessed with equalities nowadays. Um, is are we in the midst of of some kind of of a culture war and if so what what is really going on as far as how you read that is it a reaction to too much equality <laughs> no i don't think that but i mean i do think that uh, i mean i i kind of see it primarily from the um from the uk context where there's no doubt that uh sort of the leading politicians in the current government have been quite keen quite keen to you know to stir up the idea that there are these uh, these cultural wars that have to be kind of like slapped down um so there's there's a lot of kind of talking up something that uh, um you know that in order to uh, conceal the fact that really nothing is being done about various kinds of uh, inequalities within our society. But one of the main things that I think about when, when people 
sort of make these arguments about, you know, people are getting obsessive about, you know, spotting all kinds of things that upset them that they want to organise against, you know, throwing statues in the, you know, in, in the river, you know, what, you know, it seems to me what this reveals, again, is this uh, extraordinarily complacent notion about us already being in a situation of more or less equality, because I think what lies behind this is like people saying, well, of course, it's true, you know, that, that you know, that sort of many years ago, women were treated as subordinate to men, black people were kind of uh, treated as inferior to white people, homosexuals were locked up, of course, but, you know, but nowadays, to still be going on about this nowadays, that's the, that's the implication in the people who are criticising culture wars. Why are you still going on about this? And it, it's, uh, it's as though it's, a, it's against the backdrop of thinking that somehow, somehow it's all sorted. I mean, I, I thought it was very, um, it was very particularly revealing when, um, when the Black Lives Matter movement developed. Um, and one of the kind of the uh, the counters to this, which very quickly emerged, was this slogan, all lives matter. Right? Mm. And if you think about if, when you think about what's going on there, it's like it, I mean, at one level, it seems such a crazy thing to say as if this is an alternative, because it seems to be so obvious that what Black Lives Matter is saying is, look, all lives, all lives do matter. All lives should matter. But, but at the moment, some... they clearly don't, right? Yeah. And to think that that's an alternative to All Lives Matter. It's, I mean, so All Lives Matter was this very meretricious supposed rebuke to Black Lives Matter, which to me revealed the people who attached themselves to that actually thought that there wasn't a problem, that Black people weren't treated differently by the police or by the law courts or by the prison system. Um, and so that to call, to organise around Black Lives was to was to favour black people, right, mm -hmm. rather than to challenge what at the moment is, is, is a kind of deep inequality. So, and I think, I think that's kind of, it's, that runs through so much of what the kind of the, the critique of wokeness, the critique of identity politics, the critique of, you know, you know why are we having these, these obsessive uh, focuses on issues that the people who make those criticisms at in the sense, the background to their criticism is an assumption that we are all more or less treated as equals. And if you think that, then you can't really understand why people keep seem to keep going on about these things. But if you don't think that, <laughs> and it seems to me looking around the world today, it's more realistic to recognize that we are not treated as equals, that people are not treated as equals, then uh, you know, then you know you you have to keep you have to keep talking about racism. You have to keep challenging uh, misogyny. You have to keep challenging homophobia. These continue to be really major parts of the world that we live in. Um, it's interesting. You're, you, I, 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 when you said that you thought that it was because people, uh, you know, think that equality is already achieved, and uh, so you know, why are we still banging on about this? And I think that's. Yeah. That's definitely uh, pr probably some some of the group, but I um, I, mm -hmm. I suspect you know this is just my reading, yeah, yeah. particularly through what the whiteness lens. I suspect some people um, actually know that there's an unequal system, and they what they actually fear is that what 
we quote unquote white people have done to black and brown people will now get done to us so that the claims to full equality is a claim to hold ourselves to, yeah, yeah to, to remove the privilege that's been there and what happens if you remove privilege well your children become you know target practice your kids can be locked up you yes. know that's what we're actually talking about and that uh, is where I feel like there's almost like a visceral, violent, and actually, in some ways, oddly understandable reaction, which is, we don't want that to happen to us. Yes, which is, yeah. You know, but the problem is the who's the us, you know? Yes, yeah. Who's yeah. the us? Um, and who's in the us and who isn't in the us and why, you know, how are we justifying that? So I... I um, and so that got me onto another line of thinking when I w was reflecting on it, which was that, do you think that everyone does subscribe to this Im implicit idea of, of equality, you know, because it's in our declarations? Or maybe some people do actually, you know, particularly when I look at the rise of far right politics, we're, which are unabashed about, you know, white pride and, you know, the Aryan yes, race. Yes, yes, yes. These are people who seem to be very vocally yeah. committed, at least if I'm going to take them at face value, at the idea of human hierarchies. Um, yes, yes. So is yeah. there a crisis of equality today that, that, that maybe actually we have a proportion and arguably a growing one of people who don't actually believe in the principle of equality yes, yeah. of the universal yes. no, you're, and, and you're absolutely right to kind of to make that a focus i mean in a way i'm uh, so so part of the background of my thinking first of all i'm a political theorist and political theorists notoriously write and think as if it is absolutely now the widely shared assumption of our society that all human beings are equal in some fundamental sense. So if they're egalitarians, they then go on from that point to say, well, what does that mean in terms of how we should organize the distribution of resources and so on? And they come up with all kinds of very good ideas about that. But, but political theorists very much tend to take it for granted that this is, uh, this is an assumption. That's one thing. The other thing is, um, in, I mean, in, in Europe over the kind of the, you know, the, the last 20 years when you've had these, these kind of public debates about the uh, multiculturalism, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the Muslim population within Europe, um, what you get is politicians talking about how our societies are fundamentally based on the value of equality and representing um, these troubling alternative populations you get this very strongly in france but it's all over it's yeah. all over europe as kind of not committed to equality so they're seen as against gender equality they're seen as uh, homophobic um and so so part of the justification for not re recognizing them as citizens or not permitting them to you know, to, to, to sort of uh, have citizenship within your, within your country. Part of the justification is our European values are based on equality and you, you know, you people who are trying to, to get here, you don't share our values. So there's been this very strong public discourse of equality and this so that both within the political theory world and within the world of politicians proclaiming their European values, there's been this story that's been told which is 
these days we are all fundamentally committed to the value of equality. And you are absolutely right, and I kind of share your perception that the that the world that we live in is not a world <laughs> in which people are indeed <laughs> committed to these values. There's huge amounts of evidence that they're not. But to try and think about uh, so, to, so to kind of try and break that complacency that people have, that somehow we're in this world in which equality is this fundamental value. Um, but to try and break that complacency without it all, at all seeming that you're retreating from the importance of the value of equality, because right. to me it is absolutely the crucial value that matters. And and I think that's what I was wondering um, as my final question before we go to the quick fire round was like, how then if equality is wielded almost as a rhetorical weapon yes, to yeah. in some ways justify yeah. hierarchies of human yes, value, yes, yeah. how do we hold on to the principle without reinforcing the framework that today actually in buttresses the very mm. inequality it claims to stand against. Well, I don't have an easy answer to that one. No. <laughs> I know that some people yeah. do feel that um, that the value of equality is so tainted, is so yeah. tainted by its history in which it has simultaneously endorsed and reinforced hierarchy. I know that there are there are quite a few people who would say we should just stop talking this language because there's no way to talk this language without reproducing all of those uh, deceptive uh, mm -hmm. um, and all of those all of those uh, hierarchies that that's not my view um, I mean I, I kind of, you know and I, I kind of think we, if you could just stop trying to ground ground equality in what you see as the similarities between people stop trying to ground it in what you claim is you know the shared human nature and just see it as as a commitment that we're going to make then perhaps we could kind of free ourselves from from all of the the emptiness of so much of the language of equality and actually see it as political right it's a it's it's something that we have to make real you know equality is not a given a fact about humans it's something we have to kind of bring into existence and make real but you know having said that i i do understand why some people just think we should just drop the language of equality altogether. I mean, I think it would be a very bad mistake, but I can see why for some people it's just so tainted by that history that you cannot separate it out. Yeah, well, I think that the, the dilemma I can see is that although it's tainted, as you rightly point out, like how we sh how do we drop it unless we have a just as robust, yes, well, actually yes. far more robust alternative yes. reference uh, framework uh, that is, you know, so widely accepted that we could bring it into being and argue for it in a way that wouldn't be open to, you know, widespread contestation. Yeah, and yeah. and there, there aren't that many of them, actually. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Freedom, equality. I think we should stick to equality. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you so much. So let's um, do our, our quick fire round. So it's quick fire questions with quick fire responses, if, if you could. Um, what is your definition of whiteness? Ah, oh, my definition of whiteness. Um, well, first of all, not okay, not uh, based on the colour of skin, because actually nobody has a white skin, but very much a, a way of separating uh, particular groups from those who are non-white, right? So that in a sense, whiteness exists as a kind of opposition to non-white. What is the root of racism? 
the root of racism. Uh, I think uh, I tend to the view it that it's linked to capitalism. Um, I don't think it's some kind of innate tendency that we just find people who are different from us hard to live with. I think that the, the history of it goes back in some way to capitalism. But I'd need a longer answer <laughs> to fill out why I think that. What is the opposite of whiteness? The opposite of whiteness. Uh, I struggle with this. I sometimes use the term non-white, but I've been criticised for that because it's kind of, in a way, it's still centering whiteness as everything, you know, it's just like women are defined in relation to men, non-white are defined in relation to white. So I don't know. Is there such a thing as a post-racial world in your view? And is that universalist ideal ever achievable or even desirable? I think that a world in which um, we were no longer classified according to what, to my mind, is the mythical, anyway, idea of races uh, is, is, is possible. Um, and I think, it, but I think it's important not to see that as the erasure of differences between people, as if we have to all become the same in order for this thing that we've come to call race to become irrelevant. Is whiteness a useful conceptual tool in conversations on anti-racism? I think it can be risky because it can feed into um, it can feed into this whole discussion of of, of white guilt, which I find problematic because I think I think rather than thinking about guilt, which is a bit kind of inward looking and very much in a way makes the white person the center of attention, one should be thinking about responsibility, which is much more forward looking. Um, so I, I worry about the way in which the language of whiteness has, has become attached to notions of white guilt, which potentially are too inward looking and too paralyzing. And I would prefer to think about responsibility. I think we've had a, a few contributors say that it compare it to a form of nasal gazing, navel gazing, yes, you know, white yes, guilt is sort of yes. sitting there going, oh, woe, woe me for yes, having yes. guilt rather than like, as yes. you say, responsibility, action. You know, we know this is the history. We know this is the current reality. How do we affect the future in a way that doesn't reproduce that? Um, Professor Anne Phillips, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Really appreciate your contributions. Um, if people want to connect with you, your work, your ideas, is there anywhere you would like to direct them to? The easiest thing is just to send uh, an email to me at my LSE email address, uh, a.phillips at lse.ac.uk. And if people uh, would like to purchase your book, Unconditional Equals, do you have a bookseller of choice? Uh, no, no particular bookseller of choice, just wherever you can find it. I'd be delighted if you'd read it. And if you have any comments, do get in touch with me. Fantastic. Once again, thank you for your time. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to this episode of We Need to Talk About Whiteness. Please do subscribe on iTunes, Spotify and SoundCloud and join us next time for more conversations on whiteness. Thank you so much. <laughs>